It's on you podcast. Uh, this is our 21st episode. I'm here with my from time to time co-host, pop-up co-host. I call uh, Mark Cross, Hi. which I highly value and appreciate. Uh, and today we have a, an incredible special guest, uh, our friend Rafa Calderon, who I met here at theater uh, Casa 0101 Theater as an actor, actually. Right, Rafa? That's correct. Uh, yeah. We've been in a couple of shows together, if I am correct. But let me give you a quick uh, just synopsis or bio. Uh, Rafa uh, is uh, an actor, a realtor. He's been a TV producer. Uh, he's delved in, in many different things. He has an interesting background. Uh, he grew up in, I want to say, West L.A. or Korea Pico Town? Union. Pico Union. Yeah. So, and during the 80s, right? Yes. You know, that, that was, uh, as a lot of people may or may not know, it was a, a, a crazy time yeah. gro to grow up during that time. There was a lot of gangs in Los Angeles. And obviously, it was a war, a 10-year war, let's just say, from yeah. 85 to 95. And Rafa has his own experiences and background. I don't want to say too much about him. Uh, and I want him to, to tell us what that was like. Um, he's from El Salvador. You said you crossed the border in a bike, brother. Crossed the border right? on a bike. From, from El Salvador to Thank Mexico. No, 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 no. It was the, the, the Tijuana border I crossed on a bike. Okay, got it. From got El Salvador it. to Mexico, it was, you know, my mom paid right, got buses it. and taxes. So, so yeah. yeah, we'll get but, into it. Was that it, the whole family, though, yeah. on that bike? <laughs> No, 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 it wasn't the whole family on a bike. Was, was <laughs> like a clown show. They're all on top of you. I'm right, like, yeah. Right, 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 exactly. So that's funny. I could imagine. The, what, remember the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Like, yeah. We used to call people Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. But that was like an old 60s show or something. People in one car all, you know, yeah, crunched up. Yeah, or the yeah. Flintstones. I can, yeah. I can see you, brother, crossing with your car. <laughs> can your you shit. imagine? Yeah. The, clown, the clown car. Right. The clown bike. Yeah. So, so before we get into the questions, man, how you doing, brother Mark? I'm doing all right, man. It's yeah. good to be here. We're at Casa Zero One Zero One, and 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 Rafa is. You've done several shows here. Done right? several shows so here. So yeah. this is this seems to be like kind of one of our, our common connections is the theater Casa Zero One Zero One, and um, but we're gonna go into like how you got involved with theater. You know what 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 Alex was just saying now. Your background, everything you've been through, what you're doing now, and a little bit also about your brother. And this is a, a story that like we've known about at Casa Zero One Zero One. I'll let you say it. I don't want to be the one to say it. Yeah. But um, if you want to go a little bit in your background, then we could talk about your brother because that's really the It's on You podcast. It, it's on you um, nonprofit. It's really about um working with formerly incarcerated you know youth and adults and basically empowering them to find their voice their power and re-enter society and not recede not go back which is the biggest challenge right correct within this community and that's yes. why there there's organizations that are committed to that but it's still a significant challenge because when you spend enough time you know in the system like that coming out and being able to reintegrate in a in a healthy way is extremely challenging. It is challenging, yeah. and I think one of the challenges for it's on YouTube, Mark and Rafa, is that even when they actually get out of that lifestyle, uh, there's still a level of stuckness because they become dependent on the community-based organization system, right? Right. Which is another institution all onto itself. Uh, but yeah. anyways, that's a whole other conversation. What's important right now, Rafa, is you're here. Thank you for that, brother. So let's just start from way back, brother, because I, I find that interesting. You crossed in a fucking bike. That's crazy. So can you share the experience of crossing the border on that bike with your family in 1980? 
what emotions and challenges that you faced during that time that prompted you to come to yeah. the United States on a, on a bike, brother? Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's to emphasize that, bro. I love it, bro. There was yeah. no beast back then, man. Oh shit! <laughs> you know okay. that train that brings people down. Yeah. So, so look, I mean, there's, there's, there was definitely political upheaval in El Salvador, and uh, you know, like my family was involved in the government, and there were, you know, there were a couple of. I have an uncle who was murdered uh, in El Salvador. In El Salvador, okay. you know, because he was a business owner. And then I have, you know, other uncles who were part of the law enforcement. Right. One of them was now. Murdered. By the way, this yeah. was during the Civil War. This was in El Salvador. This was right before the Civil War. Okay. See, I came here in 1980. Okay. The Civil War kicked off in 1980. So Ooh. what I experienced in my life was the the winds of war. Right. Gotcha. The 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 the, the pre-war that scares people into leaving because there's something going to happen. Right. Buses being burned. You know. Um. You know, like. Uh, downtown where people would get together and say down with the government and all this stuff right so so i witnessed all of that and it was how, pretty how scary old were you at that time i was probably nine nine so you have yeah. a vivid memory of that i have a vivid memory yeah. of the winds of war right yeah. i didn't experience the war but the winds of war and what you was going on you could feel the intensity in the air you could oh, feel that there was something coming it is dark clouds it sucked there were dark clouds it, yes. it's coming something's coming right. and you know like like most parents, they want to take care and protect their kids. So that's, you know, that's basically what it was. And then yeah. um, at, at that point, uh, my mother felt such urgency that she was like, I can't wait for a visa. We're yeah. leaving now. Right. And so, you know, there's more details about that. But the point is, we, 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 we got on buses and we left. And once we got to TJ... You know, I, I, there, there's some someone once said that everyone's been in jail at least once in their life. OK. OK. So check this out. I used to say no because I've never been in jail. Right. But the truth is, like the first time we tried to cross, I was nine years old. We got caught by immigration mm. and we were sent to like a holding cell. So I'm like, not on your bike, by the way, not on my oh, bike. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the, fir <laughs> okay. the first time we tried to cross. All right. Then. The, the coyote decided that, well, he's nine. They can, he can cross pretending that he's playing on a bike. Okay. So that's where the bike oh, creative. That's where creative. the bike comes in. Creative. <laughs> yeah. And so he got a couple of his, I don't know if they were his kids, but they're like, look, here's a bike. You're going to cross with these kids like you're playing through the mountains. Right. And we're like, yeah. I knew how to ride, yeah. and there I was crossing on a bike. And, you know, I remember in the distance seeing an immigra immigration vehicle, right. and they pointed at it, and we were just kind of playing. Nobody suspected anything. We are just kids playing. And that's how I crossed the, from TJ to, to San Isidro and to the Coyote's house, right. who eventually gave us a ride to, you know, Los Angeles where, you yeah. know, I grew so up. You didn't even let you keep that bike. Didn't let us keep the bike, man. man <laughs> you know? that, I mean, that, that bike should be in a museum yeah, right now, brother. Like, but I, let, I wonder <laughs> how many kids have crossed on that bike. I bet you a lot. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm working on gathering stories of how people cross the border, and there's I have a story of uh, a friend of mine who actually was put at the age of 10 inside the engine of a, a, a little compartment in the engine of a car. Wow. And that's how she crossed. Yeah. It was actually easier to cross back then. It was there, easier There were so to cross. many innovative ways to 
to cross people yeah, over. Right? There, there wasn't uh, X-ray I, and yeah, you know, yeah. I think eventually my mom crossed, like pretending she was like pick. They right. call it picking fruit. Right. And that's how. And she yeah. got on a on a truck that came to get the workers, right. and eventually they right. crossed. So Rafa, yeah. really quick, uh, I know uh, a lot of people because of the Civil War. Yeah. Were granted political asylum yeah. to be here in the United States. You went to Mexico, right? First, yeah, well, from El Salvador. Yeah, yes, from El Salvador and not to through Mex political Mexico. asylum. Not political On asylum. A visa. No. Not a visa either. Oh, just just with a passport. Okay, a passport. Yeah. So you crossed legally into Mexico. Legally into Guatemala. Yeah. Legally into Mexico. Okay. Oh wow, yeah. man, you crossed a lot of borders. So yeah. can can you tell us a little bit about that experience, just crossing through these other nations, and how were you treated, brother? You know, so so because of my age, I was nine years yeah. old because I, you know, m my thought about the United States was all about Disneyland. Right. <laughs> okay, We're yeah. going to Disneyland. Right. And kind of like your parents bringing you along. Yeah. Right. Now that I'm an adult, 52. Yeah. I think back and think, wow, you know, like your parents are bringing you along. You're nine years old. You kind of don't understand what's happening right you're just kind of coming along you know and right. you're sleeping on a bus and you're your mom and my mom brought us my dad wasn't involved in bringing us so it was just my mom and her three little kids and she making willing and dealing with immigration right you know people and in and, and guatemala and mexico kind of paying mordidas so right. that they wouldn't question anything that right. was my mom at 28 man. by the way for people who don't know mordidas are bribes bribes to continue yeah. on your journey whatever you need to do to continue uh, surviving that's correct yeah so in el salvador rafa how, how was uh your lifestyle, meaning in the margins? Did you grow up in the margins or did your parents, or were they professionals? You know, I was lucky enough in that I, um, my, my, my family on both sides, I'm not going to say they're middle class, whatever that means gotcha. in El Salvador. Okay. So they're not poor. Okay. They're middle class. They have a little house. Yeah. Humble as it may be. I mean, that translated into being middle class right. well it also sounds yeah. like they were resourceful i mean Very your mother's savvy to be able to bribe people all the way it, over here exactly. she was a definitely not yeah. a passive woman let me will. tell you one thing about resourceful my grandmother doesn't know how to read or write and she built a business where she bought homes mm. you know okay. she, she transacted in hats okay yeah <laughs> of all things like yeah. she would buy hats and then send them all over central america and yeah. that was her business that was her gig doesn't know how to read or write but definitely knows how to multiply wow oh that's if you could do math brother you're pretty much ahead of the curve what do yeah. you think mark <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's why the asians jump on that so high you know right? <laughs> yeah they, they i agree <laughs> yeah 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 but um, but no, I mean, so it's like, so where did you end up? You your family basically ended up in L.A., right? That, we ended up in the in uh, the Pico Union area uh, at the time. I I don't think it was designated um, Koreatown yet okay. in the '80s. I don't think it was designated that yet. But uh, you know, Eighth and Vermont. If somebody's familiar with Los Angeles, that's basically look. That was little kind of like like immigrant central you know right yeah. that's where we all kind of ended up and know? a lot of people from central america by the way there yes and because i know that people coming from mexico east l.a right yeah east l.a is the 
the landing spot. Right. So, <clears throat> so you had family out here? No, no, um, no. You just happened to land there. Um, no, no. We 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 didn't have a family. We didn't have family here. But um, my mom had made that trek of crossing the border three years earlier. Okay. With my stepdad. Right. So they had been. They had already. They had an apartment. My mom. What my mom did is she went back for us and brought us. Gotcha. Here. Okay. So she had she had already been here and then just flew back and go went to get us no. after saving money. Yeah. By the way, she's still alive. Your mother. Oh yeah, dude, seventy six. And listen, my mom is a wild, and I'm gonna say this with all the love I have. She's a wild animal. Wow. She we, is amazing, man. Well, I tell you what, we want her on the podcast. I we have, want those type of people here. We I'm want telling her wild look, and look, you know, look, passionate. One of the things that I always <laughs> say is like, look, when I was 28, I was trying to find myself and trying to like discover who I really was. Right. My mom was crossing that border with three little kids. Yeah. That's pretty freaking amazing. She knew exactly what she needed right, to do, right, man. Right, right, there was right. no questioning anything yeah. about where she wanted to be. Right. Well, interesting that you bring up your stepdad. Uh, I want to ask you about that because in reading your bio, you said he was murdered, brother. Wow. Must have been a pivotal moment in your life. Uh, how? So how did that event shape your transition into adulthood? Because you said that, in, if I read correct in the bio, he was murdered the day of your graduation or a day before you, were, day you before were to graduate from junior high, school. junior high school. Right. Wow. You know, so I, I think... For me, okay, yeah. I think the bigger story about that is like these are like traumas that we never talk about, okay. right? Right. Because you know, you you mentioned something. How did that affect your life, or how did right. that right? Because at the time, not even your your own parent doesn't even understand how that's going to affect a little kid's life. Never mind the adults, right? Right, your psychology, just generally too, the right? The psychology yeah. of all of that. And I think that was a pivotal moment in, in, in just my family's life because, you know, you're losing the patriarch to violence, yes. right? And I'm, in a, I'm personally in a moment of transition from junior high school to high school. Right. And there was no like, hey, let's go, let's go see a therapist. Right. How are you going to deal with this in your life, right? right? Yeah. It was all internalized. I remember having thoughts of when I saw my dad in the coffin. Right. I remember having thought of like what I would look like in there for yes. a very long time. Yeah. What would I look like in there? So it sounded like it had a, at a very early age, it had a very existential impact on you. Because <sighs> what kid at, a, at that age is thinking about death? Am I correct, Mark? I mean... Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, actually, I, I don't know if you want to go into a little bit your relationship with your stepdad. Like, like at what point did he enter your life? What was your, It sounds like you had a, a very close relationship with him. And then if you want to talk about that a little bit. You know? Yeah, listen. I, <clears throat> so it's a very interesting, right? Because um, he, he, I felt his love. Like, I felt his care. Oh, okay. And he was my dad, right? Um there's very interesting i think i think with um with families at that age during that time in the 80s i don't know if just maybe central american families but um because i have a biological dad who was kind of in the picture you know like my own mother would say you can't call your stepdad dad you can't call him dad 
You can't or you can't? You cannot. You cannot. Because okay. you, you have a biological dad. Right. And it was like, so what the hell do I call him? No one ever told me what to call him. So I was always like, should I, what if I call him by his first name? I mean, in my head, I was like mechanizing all these things. It's like, right. should I call him Alfredo or dad? Or what, what do I call this guy? Right. So it was very intimidating sometimes talking to him. But you know, the, I, despite all of that, I felt the care and the love. Now, look, admittedly so, in my opinion, he, he was just not a good husband. I got you. You know, right. He, he was a drinker, a gambler and all of that stuff. But among all of that, you know, when he would go gamble, he would take me and my brother along with him. Like that was our, <laughs> that was that our was, outing, right? That was your entertainment. Right <laughs> that was there. the entertainment that he right. would, he would go gamble and, you know, for like 12 hours. And then he would give us money, money. He won. Hey, go guys, go get yourself something to eat. And we were, my brother and I, you know, if I was 11 or 12, my brother was like nine, right? You know, in 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 pretty much at that time a very dangerous kind of area, and we would just go to the liquor store and buy stuff and buy right. food, and yeah. that was just. But 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 this, despite him not, you know, he just. I saw him hit my mom, and you know he, whatever he did a bunch of stuff. I don't want, I don't want to talk right. for the dead, but my rela- I I felt his love and his kindness. So yeah. yes, it was absolutely very traumatic in my life. I didn't know it at the time, right? And also very traumatic for my brother's life. You know, like what if I I think about my brother? You mentioned my brother. I mean, doing thirty four years in prison. What if I I think of all the what ifs? Right. What if our dad, his dad, his biological dad, my stepdad, would have been like one of those citizens that's like standing upright and saying, these are my, this is my family and take care of them through and through. Right. Because the reason he was murdered is because he was, he was basically a coke smuggler. Okay. And he was murdered, Pico and Hoover, just down the road. Right. Um, so he wasn't, he was trying to take care of his family doing illegal shit. Right. Um, nonetheless, that's the dichotomy of this thing, right? I felt his love and his kindness and his care. Yeah. But I can't deny that he was doing stuff that hurt the community. Right. And he, you know? he, he, he was a hustler, basically. He became a hustler to make yeah. it easier for his family uh, to have an easier time, it right? Seems, right, because he could have been a factory worker, which is honest. Yeah, but at the same time, with uh, meager means to to anything, it would be right. So he made a choice. He made he, a choice, and obviously, it cost him his life. He made a choice, and I got to tell you, I mean, Alex, you know what you say? Like he could have been a factory worker. Look, in my life, right now right. that I'm older, I see those guys who followed. Right. A path of like being the factory workers. Yeah. And they're still alive taking care of their families. Right. Yeah. So you're right. My stepdad made a, a very kind of like, in my view, seriously, a very kind of selfish choice. Right. Right. Because yeah, it, it, with incredible know. ripple effects, it seems. Right. With because, incredible ripple effects, yeah. man. Yeah. You know, how, how old was your, your brother when, when your, your stepdad died? If, if I was 14, he was, my brother must have been 11. Okay. Yeah, so it it had obviously, I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, both those ages, that's a really 
difficult time to lose somebody in your yeah. life, you know, because you, you're old enough to have awareness, you know, and, and know what's going on. And, and you're at a very kind of pivotal transitional age, right. you know? So uh, there, there's no question. And, and we talk about the kind of community that, you know, it's on you is, you know, like the, the prison population. I think this is, there's a lot of common threads here, you know, in terms of either having a parent who's, you know, not around for whatever reason or involved in things that, you know, might be illegal or whatever it is, or, or losing a parent like that. And so what was your household like, like after your stepdad died? I mean, cause you obviously depended on him for financial support and he was, it sounds like complicated person, but had a lot of love for his family. Like you always felt that. I know you said that. So if you want to talk a little bit about what those years, you know, processing that were like, cause I'm guessing that it wasn't immediate because usually you're in a sort of state of shock, you know, but over time you start to really see the, re the, the effects of it. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that, what your family life looked like after this happened, yeah. you know, and kind of what that experience was like. I mean, if you can imagine at the, at the, you know, I, you can imagine that the, the financial, like, need right became greater hmm. right there was like we went from being this and i'm not saying we were like by any means like living the high life but to like just the meager wages that my mom was earning at the time as a seamstress that had to pay for the rent the food so so I saw the need as the oldest, I saw the need. So, you know, I like started working at 14 at a, at a, at a shoe store in, on Hollywood Boulevard. And, you know, basically you see the need as the oldest and you like give your paycheck to your mom and right. write all these things. And we lived in an area that was high crime and her car would be stolen, you know, every couple of months and the wow. recovery and just, Right. All of that stuff. And our yeah. apartment got broken into a couple of times. So there were a lot of things that, you know, without without a like a like a kind of like a male figure in the house. It, it's almost as if the people saw a victim now. Right. Right. Oh, that household doesn't have. A male, so right. we can like assault. We can take their. It car. became a target. There was like yes, very targeted. Cause right. A couple times, I mean, the, yeah, the apartment it's a wounded. Broken. It's a wounded family, so they're they're vulnerable right now. Yes, and they're easier to steal from or yes, pick on or what have pick you. Pick on and whatever, right. man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And by the way, Rafa, I don't mean to interrupt, but. It sounds like you, you got. A, he was your 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 stepfather. Uh, your step. I'm sorry. Your stepfather was murdered at when you were 14. Yes. So immediately you got a job, because you say you were 14 when a you got a bit, job. A little bit. A little bit immediately. So yeah. would you say that that you become parentified? That's a clinical term, meaning you had to take the the leader role, the male role, and if you did. Was that overwhelming for you? That you feel responsible for your stepfather's death and for taking care and uplifting your family? So you know, the the, the short answer to that is yes. I mean, okay. the complexity is that yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't, I didn't realize what I did until I started going to a group called CODA, okay, Codependence Anonymous. Oh, 
And okay. so and so what happened is I had to detangle my own kind of like reason why I was, you know, in my adult life, I was a yes man and I wanted to be everything to everybody right. and I wanted to like save the whole world. Yeah. You know, and I know where it came from, right? It came from like a need as a kid to be parentified, like you said, right. like becoming the father figure and right. taking really just taking care of my brother and sister, yeah. taking them to school, making sure they ate because mom was working and, yeah. you know, all of these things that come along with 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 losing a parent and being the oldest, at least for me. Yeah. You know, I did. And then, you know, through no fault of her own, my mom started depending on me yeah. to also step it up. Right. You're the oldest. You got to do this. You got to do this. Yeah. And I think that's very typical of like Mexican, Central American families anyway, right? right. Where the oldest is like, you know, becomes parentified, yeah. Yeah. like you said. Right. And, and yeah, no, no, no. I mean, look, um, I, I, I re so the effects of that in me became something that probably has frustrated a lot of romantic partners in my life where mm. I'm like, no, 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 let them win. It's okay. Right. It's right. like, cause you want to encourage other people, but you don't encourage yourself to be a winner. Right. You know, in, in a sense, you're like, no, 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 we got to take care of other people. We can't just think of ourselves. And right. it's like, you're the one that needs help, you know? And I bet a lot of people were frustrated with me. Cause I was like, no, let them do it. Let them have it. Right. Let them have the win, you know? Cause yeah. It's a very funny kind of complex dynamic. mental right. dynamic in right. your head. Um, but yeah, I became that. I mean, I became that, you know, yeah. like. So, so you lost your childhood, it seems, which is kind of why you got into, you said that in high school. Yeah. You started doing drugs, right? Yeah. You started getting into drinking. Yeah. And doing cocaine. Yes. So. So 14, is that high school already? That's Mark, uh, Michael, yeah, it's kind of going into high, high school. Yeah. yeah. All right. First few years of my high school, if you can imagine from the trauma of losing my dad, like ninth grade, 10th grade, right. were very, very lonely. Right. I, you know, to your question is like very, very lonely. I, I didn't know how to deal with that stuff. Right. And, and my, the natural way of, uh, like, um, the natural action for that for me was like being lonely and not having any friends and yeah eating lunch by yourself and right. being a straight A student right but you're like at you know it's like boom boom no friends no nothing no no, no interaction with anybody very kind of like a very you know like you see i see kind i i kind of see those kids sometimes you know the lonely kids and i'm like I can really see myself in those right. people and I wonder what's going on with them, right? Right. Um but yeah, so so that was that was my life because on top of losing my parent my my dad, I was parentified. Right. So I have I had other responsibilities other than just being a kid and going to school and acting acting wild. Right. At some point, I mean, I think that the stress became so yeah. huge. I remember specifically, I remember specifically, man, my going from summer of before 11th grade, I, dude, it's so funny to me to say it, but I told myself, 11th grade, I'm going to be cool. <laughs> right. And what that meant for, you know, I don't even know how I landed at the feet of the guys who were just doing the negative. 
right. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe because I saw it in my own in my own neighborhood. Right. The cool guys were the guys who like slanging dope, had all the chicks. Yeah, exactly. Had the chicks, went to the parties. Right. Those cool guys were right. those guys. Right. So I'm like, I want to be cool. Right. So I started hanging out, man. And I'm, I was just like, I'm going to hang out. Right. Right. Hey, we're going to ditch cool ditching party. I'm there. Right. I I had never ditched cool. Right. But I was like, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to go ditch cool. And then there's obviously the the drinking and 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 the girls and like and 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 then there's and there's the introduction to like you just do the, the this is the 80s, right? right they right, do a right. line. Right. It's like right. you do a line and you right. like it. and and just kind of naturally yeah. went through that and yeah. let me tell you I always tell people, look, when I was a nerdy kid making good grades, no one remembers that part of my life. Right. They remember the negative. They remember when I became negative. Yeah. Everybody un- un- brings un- it up. Unless you were a Caucasian, bro. They'll, they'll forget that you're that you're right. a T2. There always, it is. Oh, no. They kind of erase the negative, and it's always yeah. been outstanding, right? But if you're colored, bro, Dude. like they forget all the good shit, right? And you're like, <laughs> I just want to throw that in it's there, It's crazy, but it's true, man. <laughs> it's very true, bro. It's like right. I, I got a more, I, being like the bad boy, I right, got right, more right. attention from the little girls, right? I mean, yeah. Before there was nothing, man. Listen, my one of my friends that I hung out in in high school, and I, I lost touch with him. So I hope he's not listening to this. He was just this smelly white kid, right? right. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. my that was my hang. He's this right. smelly white kid who right. had no clue, right? You know, but that one summer, bro, right. I said I'm gonna be cool, right? And I started so, hanging out. Yeah. So let's check this out, uh, Rafa. So on the one hand, you were actually doing what teenagers do. Right. Right. Like if you go to Thousand Oaks or any other other affluent society and compared to the marginalized uh, communities, teens are teens. They do crazy shit. Right. They get high. They do coke. And it's just teens being teens. Right. But like I said, if you're in the margin or they're gang members. Yeah. Right. And they want that to stick somehow. Right. And and again, real quick, because I have an important question for you, like uh, in my gangbanging days. Right. Max, I gangbanged five years between 15 or earlier to about 19. Right. And then but people insist. Right. Like they hold on to that. Right. People like, OK, he was a gangbanger. But look, I'm 51 years old. So much has happened since. But that's what they want to hold on to. See, right. See, that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the difference between having a public defender and a lawyer. One hundred percent. So here's yeah, a yeah. yeah, yeah. So right, here's a yeah. question for you, yeah. uh, Rafa. You could have easily, easily, given your circumstance, where you came, your background, the community you lived in, the death of your stepdad, you you being the oldest, you could have joined MS thirteen, brother, or Eighteenth Street. You could have been a hardcore gang member, right? See, that's what I found so interesting, right? Because you get a lot of people who come here and, and they're going to sit here and they're going to say why they join a gang and they're going to stick to a thousand excuses, right? Why didn't you, brother? Enlighten us. Why didn't you join MS-13 or 18 or any other fucking gang? What, why did you know there was something inherently in you, some wisdom that made a choice, Right. And because I want to forward a little bit here. You you actually once you graduated from high school, you joined the Marines. Correct. Yeah. Yes. 
So you went, uh, in essence, into a positive direction. Yes. Talk about that and the psychology behind that. How are you making these decisions at a pivotal moment in your stage of development, right? Because that, in essence, is what it's on you is all about, all right? Because you're not excusing yourself. You're not saying, oh, you know, you've had traumatic experiences, hands down, but you didn't join a fucking gang. Bro, tell us. Enlighten us, please. Okay. So, 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 okay. So, I, I think it had a lot to do, and I know the um, the people who don't like Christians or think of it as a negative thing are going to hate me. But it's okay, bro. I think this is, it's, it's on you. Listen, listen. <laughs> I think it was my Christian background. Oh, awesome! Great. Yeah. That you had a foundation. I, I thank you. That's that's crucial and important. I yeah. had a foundation. My mom had the wisdom. Yeah. When when my stepdad abandoned us for the first the first time. Right. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. Okay. I'm not preaching. I'm no, not. I hear you. No, no, no. Just do what you do. Go, bro. Go. And so yours. that led us to being involved in church. Okay. In a real way. Right. I became the church drummer. I was talking about wanting to do what you've always wanted to do in your life, which I have. I became, uh, I, I participated in every theater production that the church had. Okay. I was drumming. Right. I was I was a church drummer, man, but you right. know, singing the coritos in Spanish and right. all of that, right? Yeah. That foundation stayed with me. Amazing. Till this day. To this day. To this day. Wow. You know, I, I don't it, whatever. But to this day. So so that foundation stayed with me. Yeah. I was a Sunday school teacher. Right. You know, I had I had some kind of authority in the church because of that. Right. It was a big church. And and I think, like you said, I was I was being a teenager when I rebelled. Yes. Now I look at it and say, ah, "Dude, you were being a teenager when you right. rebelled, man." What right, do you, you right. know? Don't right. Um, and so that foundation. What I always say about Christianity. And by the way, I follow Christ. I don't follow the Christians because the Christians will let you down, but Christ won't. I love that. You're a Jesus follower. You follow I, Jesus. I do. I follow yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah. man. Not the institution. I don't follow the institution because gotcha. those, those people, no, that's they important. can be racist. They can be this. They can be that. Right, I right, don't follow right. those guys. I'm not mad you at follow God. follow the main be, example. I don't follow, I'm, yeah. I'm not mad at God because of them. I'm, right, I'm right. just like, those people are interpreting, you know? Right. like No, it's interesting, dude, that you say that and, and keep the, the, the where we're at, Mark, because then I, my short-term memory fails me. <laughs> but I was at a conference, of all things, a Christian conference, Years back uh, in Chicago, right? They do this every year. The, this, uh, I don't know, they're like a coalition of, of Christians in the United States, and they meet once a year in different states, and they make these big uh, workshops and big hotels. So my friend Alex Mata invited me, right? And shout out to Alex Mata. Uh, he's an incredible Christian man. He really is. And wonderful person. So we became friends. And, you know, he knows I'm not Christian, but he invited me. I accepted because I'm an open-minded person. And in that, in one of the workshops in Chicago, right there in downtown, uh, an indigenous Navajo uh, gentleman came up to the podium. And he, and he said he was dressed up in his indigenous garb, clearly indigenous, you know, uh, and he says, I, 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 he says, I bet a lot of you guys are wondering what an indigenous man is doing here, standing, preaching about Jesus. 
He says, yeah, I wondered that for many years myself, he said, especially the degradations that the Christians caused us, you know, through history, stealing our lands. He says, so you guys are wondering. I was one of those guys like, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm curious. So the guy says, so I'm going to start with this. I'm going to be very clear before I continue with this workshop. He says, I am not a Christian which I became even more confused, right? Yeah. And I was, okay, well, what are you doing here, buddy? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he says, I am a follower of Jesus. I want to make that distinction very, very, very clear. He said, yeah. he says, because Jesus lived in indigenous ways. Yes. <laughs> you yes. get what I mean? Yes. He was an indigenous man, how he lived, simple, venerated people, venerated the earth, venerated the, the creator, he says, so I'm here standing as a follower of Jesus, he said, not as a Christian. And then he went out with the spill. Anyway, yeah. so I just thought I'd throw that in there because I Thank think it's important, that. bro. Thank yeah. you. Thank so, you for that. Yeah. Exactly. So let, so in essence is what you're saying, brother, yeah. that the foundation you had in that your mother brought you up in, in Jesus played a crucial role in the, this in your decision making process. I always say this, you know, yeah. like like, um, listen, as an imperfect man. I always go off the rails, man. Ah, shit, me right? too, bro. Yeah. But for some reason, that Christian foundation always kind of brings me back right. to what, in my opinion, is the right path. It gave you a conscience, basically. Yes. It developed. A, and, you know, it's funny, Mark, in one of our earlier episodes with Monchi, we talked about that. Because I think uh, if it wasn't him, somebody asked me how I made my decisions to get out of the gang, right? And I said that is, I'm, I'm of the belief that a religious upbringing is important as a kid because that's what gives you the foundation. And I'm not just alluding to one particular religion, just religion in general. That's your foundation from whence you're going to work from because basically at the core of that is principles, right, that can guide you, you know, morals, ethics. And what I'm in agreement with you, Rafa, is because uh, I haven't told it. I, I mentioned it in prior podcasts, but my mother was a Jehovah's Witness. So she brought me up with a Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. And when I became of age, obviously, I just went my own way. Right. Uh, so I do attribute a lot of my conscience and conscientious and, and principles to learning early these core principles. So, yes, it is important. So it makes sense. But let me ask you this. So what happened to your brother? Because your brother ended up doing 35 years in prison. What happened there? Okay, so I think what happened there, in my opinion, is that he was a little younger than me. Okay. And so the complexity of all of that is this. We have different fathers. Yeah. My biological father, his family, educated, and and they, they they in my involvement with them, they they instill in me this this thing about going to school and being a good student mm. and da, da 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 all of that. My my brother, who's you know who's I mean, I'm going to say it like this, but I can he's my brother, my brother, my stepbrother, right? Who has a different father. Half brother? Half brother. He's same my mother. half brother. Yeah, yeah same, okay. same mother. Okay. Uh, he 
he was a little younger when he was in El Salvador. And he was with his dad's grandmother before before he was brought here. Right. And it was a little different upbringing for him. Right. So going back to that foundational stuff. Right. My brother had a little bit different foundation from when he, when he was a, a little, little, little mm, kid than I did. Okay. There was something else instilling me from my dad's part of the family that wasn't instilling him. And I think, I think, you know, his, his father's death and, and that little foundation didn't, didn't, wasn't able to save him from like really hanging out with the, the wrong people. Right. It was like par for the core. You know, right. it's like, boom, this is what I do. Where I had a different kind of foundation. Maybe because I was the oldest. I, like you said, I was a little more conscious about what the right thing to do is. Right. My brother was just going wild and bald. Bald. Balls, balls to the wall. Can you say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He was just going balls to the walls and being right. crazy. Yeah. Where I was like, you know, if I would hear people, th- I always joke, hey, let's go carjack somebody. Right. And I was like, oh, you know what? I I forgot my knife. I right. got to go get it. Okay. Yeah. I'll come back, though. You guys, if, if right. I'm not back before a certain time, don't worry. Just go right. carjack somebody. I'm going to go. Right, right. Right? I had that in mind. I'm right. like, I'm not going to go do that shit. Right? right. Yeah. Where my brother was like, Let's go have a good time, right? Right, 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 right. right. I mean, so, it was different. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think maybe part of it, believe it or not, is also that you felt responsible for your younger brothers and sisters. So, in a sense, like being parentified, like we were talking about, right? There's a lot of negative things that come with that. Like, no kid and should ever have to be a parent, right? But I think maybe feeling that sense of responsibility, all those types of things, like you were always looking out for your brothers and sisters. And, and obviously, that might have also, I think, maybe had something to do with, like, not... Because, like, you wanted to be cool, right? Like, th- that's a very natural teenage instinct, right. you know? But exactly. you you weren't necessarily trying to be crazy. That wasn't something that you were... You wanted to, to fit do. in. We you talk about fit fitting in, in right? Yeah, and, yeah. That, and, that, and that's a, a little bit of... It's funny, when you're talking about, like, why didn't I join a gang, like... It would be funny if you're just like, um, well, nobody asked me. I was hanging out with the, <laughs> the smelly white kid, and uh, they were just like, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> Need not apply. But it, it wasn't, it, like, the option was not got, on the table, I right? I down. It's like, yeah, yeah no, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. Your resume doesn't <laughs> yeah. fit. No, I'm sorry. Right. You're going to have and, to track yeah. it next year. No, but, uh, but no, it's interesting also what you were saying about kind of having the Christian background and having like a lot of those foundational things right and having the church and because what happens a lot you hear this like especially in places like el salvador it's one or the other it's like you go to the gangs or you go to the church and it's right. very hard to have kind of a middle ground you and know? it's almost the same here mark in the yeah. ghettos in the, ghettos, in the barrios right. you got exactly. victory outreach on every corner yeah yeah you know and or the gangs and 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 that's a, that's a, and that's where like a place like Casa Zero One Zero One is kind of like an alternative, absolutely. You know? Like to find yeah. the arts, I, maybe exactly. we could talk about that a little bit because you obviously had an interest, right? You were playing music, yeah. you know, and you obviously like went into theater, and later you got in, into television. So yes, how do how did you find an alternative like avenue? Like what what caught your interest? What changed? So 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 let me let me let me tell you this. I, <laughs> I I feel like our kids in the hood don't even dream. Mm. Me, I had a dream. Right. There was something about it, right? 
even in the craziness of 11th grade. Yeah. You could foresee yourself in the future as it, something. You imagined yourself yes. as someone and as something. Even as right. in the craziness of losing your dad, losing my dad, and the challenges of living in the neighborhood I did. Right. I was like, man, as crazy as this sounds, Mark, Alex, right. I want to be an actor. Wow. Yeah. There was this consciousness. Right. Right. Listen, challenging experiences. I didn't know how, I didn't know where, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I just dream. I looked at the growing pains and be like, why can't I be that guy? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I really look, and, and in my experience, there are kids that grow up in such challenging conditions that they can't even imagine that they could go beyond these the, the you know this the, the situation. There was something in me that did, man. Right. I felt like, oh, why can't I be there? Why can't I do that? Right. Why is he there? Why can't I be there? And why can't my mom take me? Obviously, my yeah. mom couldn't. She could, dude, she was putting food right. on the table, right? Yeah, you had a fire, brother. You had passion. There was something right. about it, man, that I was like, how the hell am I going to get there? Look, and, and, and look, and, and I, I did theater in, in, in high school. I took a lot of theater classes in high school yeah. because of that, because I, I want to do that, right? Um, and then God, the universe, right. that powerful being, Opens whatever up, you believe yeah. in, just kind of guided me there right. in a very subtle but I, I had the uh, intention. Yeah. I'm going to pause you there. Yeah. So it would be like uh, and Mark mentioned in our last podcast w that we did together. It sounds like you were in rhythm with the universe, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Everything was right at the perfect moment. Yeah. You had the desire and the universe was ready and the doors were opening for you to go yeah. uh, somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like... Like I knew, even when I was in the military, I was like, you know, you kind of don't have time for a lot of stuff because you you're doing your job. It's a job. Um, but I was like, I'm, I'm gonna, how am I gonna do that? How am I gonna dial myself into that? Right. I didn't know how. I didn't, Mark. I didn't know how. Yeah. I didn't know how. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? Like what, what happened? I'm sure there was something. Oh a man, it's the universe just yeah. kind of like you know. I got out of the military. And then went to LACC. Um, I thought I wanted, I, well, my ma I chose my major sociology because, right. you know, I, I had all these thoughts about me. Do I want to be a lawyer? Do I want to join the FBI? Do I want to do this? Right? I did all this stuff, right? I was 23 years old, just kind of like the world was my oyster, right? right? Um, and then theater classes and obviously theater classes, like, I mean, that's where I felt it, right? That's right. where I felt it. Yeah. You know, that was my thing. That's what sparked me up. You know other stuff also, but it was an it wasn't as, as as and so, um, on in one of my sociology classes that I was taking, one of the experiments was to blindfold each other, yeah, and walk around campus, and tell each other about ourselves. Mm. I got blindfolded, I got coupled with somebody else. And we blindfolded each other and we just talked about our, ourselves blindfolded. Right. And I mentioned that I wanted, I was so curious about how television worked and all of that mm. stuff. The person that I was coupled with worked for a television station. Wow. wow. And she gave her name, gave my name 
to someone who's my very dear friend now. Right. She was my boss at one point. And she, she said, you know, they're doing internships. You want to come? Like, yes. Jumped right on it. Went. Um, got interviewed. I showed up one summer. It was summertime. I was, I sweat a lot. So I was sweating in a suit and all of that stuff. And I told him about myself. Right. Uh, she was very impressed that I had just recently gotten out of the Marine Corps and all of that stuff. And she was like, we're, you know, a couple of days later, she said she offered me, she offered me the internship. And then I didn't hear from her for about a week, two weeks. I was like, damn, what happened? Uh, she called me and said, listen, we can't take you in as an intern. So if you want to be here, we have to pay you. Are you interested in getting paid? And I was like, am I interested in getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um, that, that led me because of the, just the fire that you said I had, that led me to like, like being promoted to be producing. Right. Look, being a producer is basically you're managing everything. Yeah. You're a manager. Yeah. You're managing the lights, the sound, the, the directors, you know, and making sure that the show goes on. That's what a producer is. There's no, there's no like this magical thing. That's right. what a producer does. Man. Make sure everything's running. Making smooth. sure everything's. You're basically the manager. You're managing, right. um, and so I got promoted to doing that, and that's how I ended up working in television. That led me to meeting somebody who was making a short film, right? And then I had obviously expressed that I wanted to be an actor, and he said, "Hey, listen, I can't show up to the shoot. You want to go yeah. for in my place?" And I'm like. Do I want to go in your place? Right, 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 right. <laughs> and yeah. so that led me down to, yeah. and then someone else hired me to do a commercial. And then, oh, in that movie shoot, I met a good friend of mine who said, hey, talk to my agent. Yeah. So I went, no, take this class. Take this acting class. Right. Took the acting class. The acting coach said, hey, talk to this agent. The agent hired me. And then I started going out. Yeah. I mean, it's like my intention was that. Wow. I kind of had like a vision, but not a plan. Yeah. So yeah, and the yeah. plan just kind of, you know, came together. No, I mean, it's interesting when you kind of follow whatever that voice is that's kind of pushing you. It it, it leads to other doors opening. Yeah. You have no idea how you're gonna get there, but some if you you follow that instinct, what you're talking about, that feeling that that you had. And, and you take that first step, you're now in a place where things can open up. And you, so if you have no idea how to get somewhere, right, just taking that first step, making yourself a little bit vulnerable in that moment, right? Because yeah. right. you're at a position where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I, right. I'm putting myself here. Right. And you yeah. never know where that's going to lead to, you know? Right. And so th that says something for just following that, even if you don't know what you're doing. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And, and it takes a lot of decision-making process, determination, which, again, it always falls back to me, it's on you, because it's on you belongs to every single individual. Yes. Meaning nobody could decide for you. And right. by the way, you're talking about God and the universe. Not even God or the universe can decide for you. No. Talk about agency and yes. free will. Yes. It, I mean, the, the food can be there. Like yeah. they say, right? But nobody can force you to eat the food, right? Nobody could force the horse to drink the water. So this it's on you thing is crucial in in people being successful at what they're going after. Right. Correct? Right. Because and, and Rafa, by the way, it sounds like you've had a lot of success up until this point in your life. Yeah. You and I are about the same age, right? Yeah. Uh, so You're way me, younger than me. 
way younger, way younger. I'm 29. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Rafa, because I ran into, given that you've had a lot of success in your life, you made uh, positive decisions. Yeah. You've realized what path you didn't want to take and why you reasoned it out through logic, why that path was destructive and why you rather take this path, right? You joined the Marines. You've been a TV producer, an actor. Now you're a successful real estate. You have your own business in real yeah, estate. Yeah, I'm a real estate broker, so, yeah. So I know when we finally met up again, I want to say during uh, the show earlier this year, Cousins, was oh, it this year? Cousins, yeah. Yeah, Favorite Cousins, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so I ran into you, remember? And we talked, and we had a brief discussion, and I told you about the podcast, invited you. But you said something very important. You revealed to me that you were just diagnosed with PTSD. Right. Remember that? Right, yeah. So my curiosity is, why was that important for you to discover at this stage of your life? And what did it mean to discover that you have PTSD? Meaning, you've had all these successes. So what was happening in your life internally and externally that you found that to be important. And the reason I say this, brother, is this, because I don't minimize nobody's symptomologies, right? I mean, I've been mm -hmm. a clinician for years. I've diagnosed people with PTSD. But just like at one point, PTSD was underdiagnosed, right? And it wasn't even coupled with substance abuse. They treated it separately, but they're actually uh, what we call in psychology comorbid, you know, or they mm -hmm. associate. Uh, Suddenly, PTSD now, just like ADHD was once, is the go-to diagnosis. I understand. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. For example, I started my own my own therapy this year, too, not too long, to process the clinical work that I do, right? right. But my insurance was paying. And in order for an insurance to pay the service, so you pay a copay of 35 bucks, Mark, right? Which is nothing. Otherwise, you're paying like hundreds, right? Yeah. Curio uh, curiously, I asked my therapist, I said, so what did you diagnose me with? And she kind of looked at me, I go, hold on, hold on, hold on, let me guess. I said, PTSD. She said, yes. I go, why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? You got to justify the charge. Yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. And because you tell stories, how you grew up in struggle, you know, it's it, it usually easier. It's easy to say PTSD, right? So, which I, in my opinion, sometimes could be overly diagnosed, right? But so why, Rafa, was important for you? Why was it important for you to discover that you were suffering from PTSD? And mind you, I'm not saying you don't have PTSD. Obviously, these experiences you talked about, you know, loss of your stepfather, murder, you know, drugs, you know, all this, just crossing the border, anything, all these things, you grew up in the margins in a, in a community where there's incredible gang violence. So I'm not by any means undermining that or minimizing it. I think you possibly do have PTSD, mm -hmm. but why was it important for you? That's what I'm curious at this stage, given your success, why was it important for you to find that out? So, um, it was important because, because, um, see, there's, there's a place in time where you think you're crazy. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Right. Right. And you're like, maybe I'm just crazy. Yeah. Um, to 
two daughters, broken relationships. Gotcha. Right? Broken relationships. Yeah. Very, you know, if you can imagine in the entertainment business, very kind of like, very, very fluctuating ways of making money. Yeah. Right? Like there's like, sometimes you're really broke, sometimes you're really rich. Yes. And all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Broken relationships, two daughters, uh, even self-examining my own behavior of like being really angry sometimes. Yes. Or being like, you know, just 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 kind of like even scaring my oldest daughter. Poor, I apologize so many times to her because I was I would just become very just very angry and just like and she's two years old and I'm like da, 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 right? right just kind of all that stuff and then I would normalize that and say well hey listen I'm a I'm a former marine that's how we are right gotcha and so that's just how we are right right but then all of those experiences doing that to other people being that way right also starts creating the consciousness of like Maybe I'm just crazy. Right. Maybe I'm just like, I'm not worth anything. Yeah. And what a piece of shit that I did that gotcha. and I did this and I did this. And so that builds up, right? So it's it's interesting. And I'm going to pause here as, as Mark always says, stop here real quick. Because it sounds like you were becoming aware of your bad habits. And, and those bad habits cost you two divorces, right? And you were coming of age and you were trying to figure out how can I become a better, not a better person, because we're good people and we, that just simply do bad shit. But how can I be more aware of my actions, reactions, and my treatment of people? Am I yeah, correct? That's correct. Okay. So you're just trying to better yourself. And, yeah. Okay. And, and look, at some point in my life, I went through like a lot of alcohol abuse and yeah. knock on wood, I never get a DUI. But I remember just, I hope, I hope this doesn't... DUIs aren't given retroactively because I remember, you know, just driving blackout drunk. Right. You know? Right. And look, at the time, all of that's fun. Yeah. Hey, can you imagine what I did yesterday, right? Right. I got shit face or what have you. We brag about it. But look, man, it it ain't funny. When I think about maybe people being in my vehicle and I'm on blackout drunk, Never mind me killing myself, but imagine killing somebody else. Oh, wow. When I started thinking about that, it's like, never mind me. I did it. I did the crime. Right. But what if I kill an innocent somebody? Right. That's that. So I started thinking about all of that. So I started going to AA, and then I discovered Code. I Codependence Anonymous. Right. And then, uh, you know, I was like, well, you know, let me go to the military and see what's up. Because, you know, I do have some war experiences and being in war in the first Gulf War. Wow. Um, and then um, that, the diagnosis of PTSD didn't come right away, by the way. You know, even in the military, seeing a, a military psychologist. Right. It's like I, 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 what I told my psychologist is I had this one experience and yeah. I, I had spoken with her about my experiences, yeah. like bad behavior, broken relationships, really just being really messed up with my daughter in terms of the anger and all of that stuff. Right. But this one experience really talked to her. I said, I had been at the beach with my family having a really good time. 
And then that night, once again, I woke myself up violently. Mm. And she said, have you ever been diagnosed? Because of the other background that I had talked to her. Night terrors. Yeah, night terrors. Yeah. She said, have you ever been diagnosed with PTSD? Right. I said, no. I think you're suffering from PTSD. And it's, and it's, it's like the real, I, I'm not saying other people's PTSD is fake, but it's the real, really waking myself up. Right. With my blood rushing through my body. Right. Sweating. In panic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And look, as strong as I want to be and say those things don't affect me, I mean, being in a war zone thinking you're going to die has got to have some kind of effect on your mind. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. That I relive even if it's not conscious. Yeah, exactly. That's absolutely right. Even if it's if I'm not a, even even if I tell you my being in a war zone was right. very positive because I grew really right. close with these guys and we were like we right. yeah. there's a scud missile coming over us so we put on we gotta put on our protective suit and go under the ground so right. it doesn't kill us and we're all doing this yeah. together the, the the day the war started yeah. I was on watch right yeah and I had to wake everybody up and say hey we're at war right crazy so you listen me. Never had an effect on me. Me consciously, that didn't yeah, affect Rafa, me at the guy all. That wants to control, you know. And by the way, most people with real PTSD, Mark, uh, they're actually in denial. Just to say, hey, you, you get what I mean. Most people with real PTSD are actually in denial because they think they can manage everything. They think they can handle the the weight of the world. And but again and again, there's a lot of people that wanna slap that label on themselves to excuse or justify why they can't move forward. And, and, and we've discussed this in other in the other podcast. And but, I'm, I'm yeah. pointing on myself because yeah. I was in denial for 20 years. Right, and that's why I asked you, brother, because it's really crucial and important for our listeners to understand again why is it important to learn these things for a matter of self-reflection and to understand yourself and to ease out like you're not crazy. A, you're not going ape shit. What, what you actually we, been through some oh. shit. You've been through war. You've been, you know what I mean? It's wild. I, I love it, man. Because yeah. you know. And by um, the way, are you still in treatment? I am. Great. I'm gonna be in treatment forever. Awesome. I'm, That's good I, for you. Brother. I want to be a better person to everybody. That's great, brother. I've apologized to my daughter, and you know, like. So so you know one of the things that it did in a very funny way is like, see. When when I tell some people about my diagnosis, yes, they say, "Well, no wonder, <laughs> right?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and look, man, I know I've acted angry sometimes, yeah, and kind of irrational, right? But my diagnosis also gave me the wisdom to understand, right, that I was justified, right. What's not justified is how I acted. Correct. I had experiences where people do shitty stuff right. and I overreacted. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they didn't do shitty right. stuff. Right. No, you know, I appreciate that, brother. And I'll tell you why, because that's when I deal, I'm dealing with homies, even my own homeboys is, of course, you've been through shit, brother. Of course, you've been through a lot. You grow up poor. Your daddy spanked you. Doesn't mean you should have carjacked that poor guy who didn't deserve it in the corner. Doesn't mean you had to jack the fucking local market. Doesn't mean you had to go shoot that other guy. Am I making sense? Yes. That's still on you. 
Yes. 100%. You know what I mean? Yes. And we have to take accountability for that. And we have to seek treatment. I don't, yes. know. I don't know if you guys agree. I, I totally agree with you. It's yeah. like, but but for me, what I was telling you is yeah. a different re role reversal, right? Because right. there's people who act shitty and then I overreacted to the shitty behavior. Right, right, right. Which that was bad. Right. That was horrible. Right, right. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Right. But you made amends and you've been making amends. And I did make amends. Right. But I'm like, hey, listen, don't think my apology means it wasn't what you did wasn't shitty. Right. It was pretty fucked up. Right, right. You know, I might have made a bigger deal than it really was. But right. How, why would yeah. you fucking do that? Right, right. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, before we get out of here, I did, we did want to talk to you about your brother because you have some big news. You said your brother's been in prison for 34 years. 34 years, yeah. And if you want to talk a little bit about what happened, how he got there, how old he was, like what the situation was, and then I know you've worked tirelessly to get him out because he was in there since he was a kid, really, yeah, right? Yeah. And, you know, so if you want to talk about that a little bit and then also, you know, you know what you're planning, because obviously when he gets out, you're going to be part of his support system, you know. Yeah. And what you want to do, what your goals are, you know, all those types of things. So, yeah, if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, so so my brother um, got uh, locked up when he was uh, 16. Uh, I remember. <laughs> my God. You know, I was talk about parentified. You know, I was in boot camp at the time, mm. and for a very long time, yeah. I mean, even to this day, I feel very guilty that I wasn't there. Maybe I could have saved him from you know spending thirty four years in prison. Um, but I was in boot camp. I was gone. You know, um, so so he got locked up when he was sixteen, um, and you know whatever we can talk about the legal system and all of that stuff. Maybe some other time and all of that stuff right but he's he finally won parole and so you know 34 years later i'm like okay so how do we how do we do this i don't want to be a parent to him anymore right i'm his brother i finally realized i'm your brother i'm not your dad you know i want to help you but right and so how do we get him to be independent how do we get him to like just you know, how do how do we help him mentally, emotionally? How do we support all of that? Um, you know, in prison, we went through the whole thing. You know, I think he spent something like uh, 10 years in Pelican Bay in the hole. The shoe program? The shoe program. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about that for people who don't know what that is? Yeah, it's a, 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 the shoe program is crazy. It's uh, basically isolation for the most hardened criminals. And basically, you pretty much don't have any human contact, and that that's how they punish the 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 more the criminally quote unquote minded. And it's a very very cruel program, you know what I mean. And again, specifically reserved for those that are considered the most dangerous, uh, you know, the most. Uh, and 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 by the way, what's sad about the shoe program, bro, that. Mental health issues are were throughout since the shoe program has been created. Ha, mental health issues has hardly been considered, you know. So it, it's supposed to be rehabilitating, but it's really the opposite. Yeah, you hear a lot about how solitary right. is one of the worst things you could do right, to a right. person. So your brother spent ten years ten there. Ten years there, and 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 look. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be the victim of the SHU program. But and by the way, I think it stands for Solitary Housing Unit. 
the shoe s yeah. s h u something like right. that yeah um you know i think what i look what i want to say is like if there's kids listening to this stuff right and i know you're in your crazy age and crazy right. age, look yeah your family goes to prison with you oh, your yeah. family is in that cell with you oh yeah your family is in shoe with you yeah because i know my family was there right with him I mean, there there hasn't been a day in my life right. where I haven't thought about my little brother living in a cage. Jesus. Right. Not oh. one day. Right. There's not one day. Yeah. Haunted you, basically. You were there with him for listen, 34 listen. years. Yeah. Go to a club, have a good time. All of a sudden, you're haunted by the fact that your little brother is in there. Mm-hmm. All these experiences, it's like, oh, he's not here. He's, right. in, the, he's in that box. Oh. Yeah. You're doing theater. You're having a good time, you know, and, oh, my brother's in prison mm. in a box. Yeah. And I'm here. The guilt, the this, the that, I mean, everything, every, like, emotion, like, possible. Wow, you dude. feel it yeah. and you live it. Yeah. And you know. So him coming out look i want to do a lot of things with him like modern society social media i honestly i want to i want to learn how to create a youtube channel for him and be so he can be able to like tell his experiences why not there's a lot of youtubers who have been in jail and talk about their experiences and yeah. i want to maybe get him to like his first day out you know yeah. it's like my first day out after 34 right. years i mean you know right. like This is modern society, man. Right, it's, right. it's all out. You know, these aren't right. things that we hide anymore. It's like right. part of the reason that I want to talk about the ugly in my life is because, as you said, you know, there's like there is some successes in my life. Right. That I'm very proud of. Right. But there's some ugly. And I think there's a lot of isolation in a lot of people sometimes because they only see, you know, those people may only see x y and z which is very cool but they don't see the ugly and it's very isolating i know that in the past i felt very isolated with my brother in prison with my dad dying i felt like nobody else is going through this right but now you know like hey man listen this is ugly right life life can be beautiful and ugly at the same time and you just got to live through it and right thrive and Right. It's on you. <laughs> no, no, and definitely. You know? we, and, and, you know, it's important what you're saying because you're right. And that's why we, we speak uh, proactively about social ills, right? We talk about marginalization, about injustices, about cruelty, about systemic racism because it's ugly. But people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about that no more right now. You know, or people go to the opera house thinking they're going to have a great day, hear the symphony to escape from the realities of the world. But it's something that we always have to lean into, you understand, and speak to that. Absolutely, 100%. And I can't imagine, bro, I mean, how horrible that was to know that you have your brother in prison. Uh, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know. But it takes courage to speak to that truth, you, you understand? Yeah. And people need to listen to it, 100%. I, I'm 100% in agreement with you about right. that. And I think that's what theater does, too, if I'm not mistaken, Mark. We, we try to put shows that uh, expose the system at the same time, talk about the injustices that exist, 
the inequities. And that's what art is also for. You know, Casa just doesn't put up fancy shows. There's been incredible shows and incredible writers here that's come through here that speak about their personal experiences growing up in the hood, in the margins of society. And it's a truth. And we got to keep speaking truth to power. So for that, I commend you and, and thank you for that, brother. I'm never going to yeah. take that away from anyone. It's important. We have to really speak truth. Yeah, thank you. Know? you. Yeah, 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 100%. Thank you. thank you. All right, guys. I, I think we got to wrap it up here. So thank you oh, so much really? for being here, Rafa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'd love to have you back, Rafa. You know, we could go on for days with this. Yeah. I could go in so many directions. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, again, it's on you is, is really not anything pretty to say, but we have to make hard decisions regardless, right? Well, that's what it's on you means. It's not uh, even in prison, right? Right. If, if, if you're isolated or in prison, you have to make a choice whether to go in a positive direction, join the services, the spiritual services, whatever they may be, or go and pick up that shank and shank someone. It's still on you. Right. So that's that's the essence of it's on you to empower people to say, regardless of circumstance, we do have a choice. And let's hope that we choose for the better. You understand? Right. And, and by the way, shout out to Ear Hustle. We're talking about prison and you're trying to create a show for your brother. There's a, a wonderful podcast that and Mark, if you haven't heard it, it's people directly from prison and it's in prison. It's called Ear Hustle. Okay. And it's a, a great podcast. And it, they're talking about the real shit that's happening in prison. And sometimes they have to hide when they're doing the podcast. But you get a lot of awesome information and education just about what's happening in there. Because we can't ignore, bro. One thing you taught me today, Rafa, which is wonderful and I'm touched, is that we cannot forget nobody are people who are in, who are locked up in jails mm -hmm. and we should meditate on them every single day every fucking day right like you and your brother you have to you've had to live with that for 34 years so we can't just go around on our fancy day having our fancy dinners without considering those who are suffering right. be it in prison people with illness people in other uh, marginalized societies and countries and i think we have to sit in silence from time to time call it prayer with everyone and keep all those people in folk in our mind and in our hearts to continue to create a better world we can't we can't forget that shit because no. i know sometimes we get trapped in our own personal cosmos yeah like it's my shit i'm trying to figure shit out this and that and we forget what the fuck is going on around right. us you know what i mean right. so shout out to all those people shout out to my sister who has cancer uh shout out to all my homeboys my homeboy just died uh, a couple of weeks ago. So thank you for reminding me that. And that's why we need people like yourself always present. Your presence is a reminder of what matters in life, man. Right. What's truthful. What's truthful and it keeps us humble and grounded. Anyways, that's my peace, Mark. What's All up right. with you? That's yeah. it. It's on you. Thank you for joining us. It's peace. on you.